Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. It's day five of the campaign, and we kick off our leadership interviews. Today, spoiler alert. There's no crisis. Can you see a crisis? Uh, there's no environmental crisis. There's no environmental emergency. He won't do anything about climate change. He's fighting what he calls radical multiculturalism. Is he a populist election spoiler or a fringe candidate whose new party will fade away? Maxime Bernier is here for the first in a series of in-depth leader interviews. Then, MPs debate the most controversial issue at the heart of this campaign, the fight against climate change. Whose plan is for real? And then, ready or not. The candidate you mentioned in Winnipeg North has been uh, removed. Uh, he clearly uh, kept hidden from the party uh, certain messages that he had posted that were offensive. As soon as information arises where they are not meeting the standards that we believe is important for our candidates to meet, we then uh, move ahead to ensure that they're no longer candidates. As far as I know in all my conversations with him, he's not a separatist. Campaign errors, misfires, the SNC affair, debate skipping. How damaging are these early moments for each campaign? And is there one policy so far that's dominating the debate? The scrum weighs in on all of that with special guests, CTV pollster Nick Nanos, who's got some new numbers, and the former communications director to Jean Chrétien, Peter Donolo. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. Well, he's either going to be Canada's populist right-wing election spoiler, maybe the balance of power in a minority government, or a fringe candidate who will disappear after October 21st. Maxine Bernier, who came within a whisper of becoming the Conservative leader about two years ago, is now the leader of his own party, the People's Party of Canada. And they are poised to have candidates in all 338 ridings. Does Mr. Bernier represent a growing tide of populism in Canada, or will his contentious ideas on things like immigration and climate change be rejected as he lags in the polls? Let's find out. Maxime Bernier joins me now from Quebec City, sir. Uh, good to have you back on the program. And let me start at the top. You left the Conservative Party because you claim it was hypocritical. You describe your new party as populist, and we hear that term a lot with Donald Trump and with Brexit. What does populist mean to you? But we are a smart populist party because we base our policies on serious reforms that needs to be done in this country. And we don't try to appeal to the, to the emotions of Canadians, but to their intelligence with bold reforms. And that's why, you know, we're doing politics differently and we are listening to people. Uh, we, there's no political correctness with us. We are saying what we believe in with passion and with conviction. And that's why you can call our party a smart populist party. All right, you talk about, I'm going to dig into those over this interview. You talk about ending cooperation with the United Nations. You have an anti-climate change policy. You talk about restricting immigration, which we'll get into. Would you label this populist approach Canada first? It, you know, it is people's first. We are the people's party. We are working, working for the people's. And we, yes, we are putting our country first. Uh, if you look at uh, foreign aid, there's $2.3 billion that the Trudeau government is giving to African countries to fight climate change. We will bring that money back in Canada to help Canadians first, for sure. Uh, you, let's talk about climate change. It's a big issue. You argue the country is not facing a climate emergency. So I just want to get this straight and on the record. Do you, Maxine Bernier, believe that human activity and excess carbon emissions are the cause of climate change? Yes or no? 
Yes and no. Uh, first of all, the most important, it is not the main reason why we have climate change. There are, there are other factors also, like the ocean, the sun. And I'm not a scientist, but Patrick Moore, the, one of the co-founders right. of the Greenpeace movement, said that, you know, the main reason for that, it is not human activities. And that's why, uh, you know, I think there's no uh, em climate change emergency in this country. Okay, but, but so yes, you, you say, you're saying that climate, the climate and the ocean are causing climate change and, and, and you don't trust the science on it. So let me just get this straight. I don't want to dig into that too deeply. But that means if you were in government, would you as a federal government do anything to mitigate or stop climate change? Anything. No, no, I won't. You know, the environment, it, it is a, chair, a, a shared jurisdiction with provinces. I will let provinces deal with it if they want. And you're right, I'm the only leader who won't sign the Paris Accord, and we won't try to achieve the targets in the Paris Accord. We're not hypocrite. We're telling the, the truth to Canadians. Justin Trudeau and Andrew Scheer are saying that they will achieve the targets in the Paris Accord, but they won't. With a carbon tax of $50 a ton, they won't be able to do that. Right. Uh, the experts are saying that you must have a carbon tax of $300 a ton. So when Scheer and Trudeau are saying they will be able to achieve the Paris Accord target, it is, it is not true. It is uh, hypocrite. And I want right. to say to Canadians that because there's no right. uh, climate right. change emergency, but, but, we need to do other things for the environment. But it doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing. You don't, you're going to do nothing. You say they're not doing enough. But, but let me just ask you, because it's a key part of your platform, I, I can't understand what you're doing some things. You went online and attacked that 16-year-old climate activist who has Asperger's named Greta Thunberg. You called her mentally unstable. Look, you're a 56-year-old man, and it looked like you were cyberbullying a young woman with Asperger's. Uh, sorry, how do you justify that? Do you regret doing that? Yeah, first of all, you know, when she's saying that, and I quote her, everybody must panic and must feel her fears, and I think it is not responsible. She's asking young kids to not go to school, to, to do protests for climate change, and they, she's telling them that if you don't do anything, it will be the end of the world in 12 years. Some, some Maxim, people are it's not a 16-year-old saying years. that. The United so, Nations is saying that. Elizabeth May is saying that. The Prime Minister. Are all those people, as you used it, mentally unstable, to use your language? <laughs> no, no. What... I, I'm, I'm speaking about what she said, and what she said on the fact that the, the facts that everybody must panic. You cannot build public policies on, on panics, on, on, on sentiment. You must build public policies on All facts. Right. And there's no, there's no proof that tomorrow it will be the end of the world if we don't do anything right. about climate change. There's right. no emergency right now. Look around you. <laughs> there's no emergency. Well, so we, I, we must be reasonable when we speak about climate change. All right. Well, I don't know if attacking a 16-year-old is beneath you or not, but maybe not. Let me just ask you about Bill 21. You're in Quebec. Bill 21, which is the controversial secularism bill, uh, argue, many other leaders argue, all of them, that it violates the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, that it's legislated discrimination. Would you oppose that bill? No, I won't. It is uh, in line with the provincial jurisdiction. And they use the non-attending clause, and the, the Quebec government has the right to do it. But, you know, I won't interfere. And as a People's Party government, 
we will uh, we, we won't do anything about that because it's not under our jurisdiction yeah. but the most important the Quebec government will have to be responsible in front their voters when the time will come yeah they're using the notwithstanding clause implicitly appreciating the fact that it violates the freedom of religion would you like to see something like bill 21 expanded across the rest of the country and do you personally support it no first of all you know at the federal level I'm doing politics at the federal level I don't try to run to be the premier of Quebec and I want, I want to use a bill like that at the federal level for sure. But what I'm saying, it, Quebec is, is in his uh, jurisdiction to use that, but at the same time also that's a little bit risky when you're a, a, a government to use a non-unsending clause, and we'll see what will happen in a couple of years from now at, at the next provincial election in Quebec. All right, uh, Maxime Bernier, hang on. Oh, we've got lots more with Mr. Uh, Bernier coming up. Why is Maxime Bernier so mad about what he calls extreme multiculturalism? And is there another Maxime Bernier out there? Turns out there is. Part two of our leaders' interview with the People's Party of Canada leader Maxime Bernier. When we come back, stay right here with Question Period. Welcome back to Question Period. This is part two of our interview with the People's Party of Canada leader, Maxime Bernier, who joins us now from Quebec City. Mr. Bernier, let's talk about immigration. You've said that you uh, take a hard stand against what you call Justin Trudeau's extreme uh, multiculturalism based on immigration. Um, so what's your plan? The Liberals, like the Conservatives before, have always tried to increase uh, immigration rates. The Liberals now want to get up to 340,000 immigrants by 2020. Under the government you used to belong to, Jason Kenney, he also increased immigration. Uh, what do you, why do you want to reduce it to 150,000? Because 49% of our population are saying that they want fewer immigrants, and only 6% want more immigrants. So what we must do at 345,000 a year, uh, our country will receive more immigrants per, per capita than any other Western countries. And we want to reduce that at 150,000 a year. We're not anti-immigration, we're not for mass immigration, we just want fewer immigrants, but we want more of them uh, uh, being economic immigrants. Right now only 26% are economic immigrants. No, no. According to, to the government, it's sixty. At fifty percent. According to the government, sixty percent are, are no, economic. But, but let me just ask you, why one hundred and fifty? Because I'm just trying. I'm curious about your math. Uh, if I've looked at studies from the Conference yeah. Board of Canada, uh, from TD Bank, because we have low fertility rates under two point one percent, which we need for what we, they call replacement rates, in order to keep our labor force strong, in order to pay for the retired workers, we used to have four workers for every two workers retired soon it's going to be equal we need more immigrants some the conference board of canada says 350,000 or more where what is your number based on sir but we need more economic immigrants for sure we want these people to come here and to uh, help us to to fulfill our economic needs that's great but when i'm saying 26 percent it is a skilled immigrant the government is saying 50 percent 55 percent why because they're counting the, the the skilled worker and his or her family so wife and, and husband or husband or children so all together they're 55 percent but we there's only one skilled immigrant right. so we, yes we are for the uh, immediate family, but the real workers, it's 26%. And you're right, we must increase that. We want them to be able to participate in our society.
society for sure. Right. And when you come here and you have a job, it's easier for you to integrate our society. But, and but, we but, want but most people say, yeah, but right most now, people say but, your but, number 150 is just not enough, like it, that, that it won't lead to economic growth. But I'm intrigued by this term extreme multiculturalism. Uh, what does that mean? When does multiculturalism, in your view, become extreme? Because you must know, I hope you know, that multiculturalism is actually enshrined in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Do you want to take that out? No, absolutely. No, no. We just want to repeal the Multiculturalist Act. So that's the most important. What I know that this country is a diverse country, and we're proud of that. This country has been built by Francophone, Anglophone, First Nation, Inuit, immigrants from all over the world. That's perfect. What I don't like by extreme multiculturalism is when the government is using the taxpayers' money always to fund our diversity. We must celebrate what unites us. We must celebrate our history. That's yeah, what, what we what, must What do you do. mean by Unity this? Like, just, just tell me, what is extreme multiculturalism? Again, Section 27 of the Charter talks about a core value of multiculturalism. What is it? You've tweeted, and I can read your tweets, about values. What are you talking about? Because a lot of people, to be candid, think this is all dog-whistle politics for xenophobia. No. We, Justin Trudeau said, said that Canada has no core identity. We are a nation and we are a proud nation. And yes, we have an identity. So what it is, our Canadian values? Equality before the law, equality between men and women, separation between the religion and the state, uh, pluralism, tolerance, uh, uh, you know, that's, that's free markets, freedom, democracy. But and, so, so you but know, what's different about that? Are coming that's already here, what are, we are. Are, coming, are coming, just wait. <laughs> people who are coming here are coming to celebrate these values that are the Western civilization values. So we must celebrate that and not always celebrate the diversity of our country. We know that it is a diverse country and the people who are coming okay. here, the goal is to be part of our Canadian but society. That, that but where, yes, also they keep some they keep so, some distinct flavor from their country of origin, and that's okay. That's part of the uh, of the process with uh, these people that are coming here. They they're gonna c become Canadians, I know, but, but at the same time they will influence our society, and that's perfect. Right. Okay, Max Max Bird, I just got a lot. I just never heard you talk about this, but I've known you. I, I get you're an economic libertarian. I understand you're you're talking about the deficit. That seems to be the Max Bernier I've known for years. But this guy who's talking about immigration and values and this dog whistle stuff, the guy that's standing beside people who have patches from far right uh, and, and, and alt-right no. groups, and, that, and you're pretending you don't know who they are. I, I, I'm being candid. That's not that. These were members of the Northern Guard. I, I, this isn't the Max Bernier anybody can recognize from your time in politics as playing footsies with the far right. What's your response to that? First of all, you know, everybody can come at our rally, and I don't scream the people that uh, I'm taking photo with. You know, I'm open to everybody, and that's okay. Look at our policy and read our policy. We are the only party with strong policies on a lot of subjects. And yes, immigration, it is the elephant in the room. We must speak about that. And, you know, it's, it's, I'm not radical. Justin Trudeau and Andrew Scheer are radical when they are saying always more and more and more. I'm saying, you know, we must have between 100,000 a year to 150,000 a year, but more economic immigrants, as I think it's reasonable. Right. And the refugees... So you'll denounce, I, you'll now, denounce Canada racism. Canada is receiving more... No, let's me finish about that. Uh, right now, Canada is receiving more refugees uh, by absolute number than the U.S. 
and every other uh, countries in Europe. So we cannot, it's not sustainable. That's right. why we must have that discussion okay. because we love this country and we want this country to okay. be like that in 25 years. Uh, refugees are very different than immigrants, but real quick, uh, there's a debate coming up. Do you think you belong in this debate and will you be in the big debate? Just about refugees, I just want to let you know that we want to help the real refugees that are waiting in, in a country where their life is in danger. That's the most important. That's a Canadian values, not the people who are crossing our, our border illegally in, in Quebec at the Roxham Road. So speaking about the, the, the debate, for sure we need to be there. Look at that on, on immigration, on balancing the budget in two years, on uh, ending corporate welfare. It's all policies that are very different than the other parties, and the other parties are all the same on these policies, and it's too important. We must be there to debate, and I'm waiting for the, that answer tomorrow, actually. All right, we'll find out if Maxime Bernier is in the main debate. I really appreciate that. I know you're running against a guy named Maxime Bernier from the Ryan Osteris party, and you're riding in the boats. That'll be an interesting race. Uh, thank you, sir, for being here. i got to leave it there. Coming up, though, climate wars. Does any party have a policy that's both effective and affordable as the environment trumps the list of key campaign issues. Four candidates debate the plans, the policy, and the path to victory next. Stay right here with Question Period. We know there is no plan to build a stronger economy unless you also have a real plan to fight climate change. That's what conservatives still don't get. Where Justin Trudeau will increase his carbon tax on hardworking Canadian families, I will scrap it so Canadians aren't punished just for heating their homes and driving to work. We can act now to take on the climate crisis and build 300,000 new quality jobs, but only if we have the courage to take on the big polluters and to end the fossil fuel subsidies. This election is about telling the truth to Canadians about how serious the climate emergency really is. Promises, promises. Welcome back to Question Period. Well, election 2019 could be the first in Canadian history to be won or lost based on the environment, climate change, and which party has the best plan for tackling it is shaping up to be a, if not the, ballot box question. It's also become a proxy issue on affordability and the economy. Climate change topped the list of things Canadians care most about, overtaking usual election issues like the economy, ethics, and health care, according to a recent nano survey. He'll join us later, by the way. So with concerns about cost, effectiveness, and some very big promises, we've gathered a group of candidates to try to separate the myths from the reality. Marco Mendicino is a Liberal candidate for Ontario. Lisa Raitt is a Conservative candidate in Ontario. Daniel Blakey is an NDP candidate in Manitoba. And Jean-Luc Cook is a Green Party candidate also in Ontario. Great to have all of you. I'm just going to go around the horn first. Uh, Marco Mendicino, uh, the Liberals have put forward a plan, okay, that we know of. The carbon tax with the rebate is part of it. And the price of carbon rises to $50 a ton by 2022. The Parliamentary Budget Officer, though, says your party will still miss your own uh, agreed-upon Paris targets. You won't even come close. My question, how high will the price of carbon have to go for your party to meet those targets? Well, let's start with the most important word in your question, which is that we have a plan. It's a serious plan that includes putting a price on pollution. Um, we know that it's effective. It's worked in other jurisdictions, including in British Columbia and in Quebec. And ironically, Mr. Scheer said the very first thing that he would do if elected would be to make pollution free again. Um, I think that that just shows he doesn't get it. He thinks climate change is either a hoax 
or good for, good for Canadians. Now, you've got a choice if you are a voter out there. You've got a Liberal Party that has a price on pollution that is going to phase out coal, that is going to ban harmful plastics, or you've got a Conservative Party of Canada whose environmental policy is equivalent to the earth is flat. Okay, could you answer the question, though? Uh, you, the parliamentary budget officer says, with all that rhetoric, you ain't going to hit your targets. The price only rises to 50 bucks. A firm answer, please. How high a price will your party put on carbon in order to meet the targets? 60, 80, 100? Where does it go, sir? Look, under our plan, we have a price on pollution. Every polluter is going to pay, and the revenues that we take back from that will be put back into Canadian households. It's an affordable plan, it's an effective plan, and we will get to those targets. We're more than three-quarters of the way there, and we have a serious plan, unlike the Conservatives, who oscillate between denying or thinking that climate change would be good for Canadians. I'm going to leave that as no answer on how far that price has to go, but let me go to Lisa Ray. Uh, your party keeps criticizing the carbon tax as being too expensive, though your party does not mention the rebate that comes with it that Mr. Mendicino mentioned to be fair. But your party has also not released its own price on uh, carbon. For example, your plan requires big emitters to pay into a tech fund once those emitters cross a th certain threshold. Tell us, please, what is the price on carbon a Conservative government would set to calculate the fee a company would have to pay? So, Evan, I, um, I can actually answer Marco's question because we've crunched the numbers on that. What the parliamentary budget officer has said is that it has to go to 100 bucks per ton in order for them to get to what, the, what they have set as their emissions goals. That translates in Ontario to about $469 a year on your home heating and about 30 cents a liter on your gas when you put it in your car. So those are big numbers and we don't believe that the consumer and the taxpayer should shoulder the entire burden. So yes, we say big polluters should be part of it. And we say there's going to be a cap and if they go over that cap, they're going to have to invest in technology. And I would say this, Evan, in terms of technology and why it can help you get to whether or not you're going to hit those emissions, if you take a look at China, they've got 3,000 electricity plants there that are burning coal. If we sent over to just 100 of these plants our carbon capture storage technology in order to reduce emissions, that's enough decrease in emissions that will meet our targets here okay, in but Canada. Can you just so also, it does matter just, what we're just, doing just, in technology. What's the price? I'm, I'm looking for a number. You talk about the Liberal numbers. Let's talk about the Conservative numbers. What is the price of carbon that a big emitter would have to pay into the tech fund? Because I've read through the Conservative plan. There's no target. Yeah. You don't know what it's going to actually meet. And you won't say the number. So I'm going to ask you a clear question again. What's the price on carbon? Your party has one. You just refuse to say it. What is it? It's not going to be 100 bucks a ton placed solely on the backs of the consumer. I can tell you that. We're taking a different plan, and the way that we're going to go in a direction is to make the big polluters pay. And that's exactly and completely different from what the Liberals plan on doing. And we'll be talking more about our, right. our plan, which is quite large in terms of, of covering off a whole lot of things that people want to talk about, like technology and putting back into the hands of people to use the home renovation tax credit to make sure that their own carbon footprint is able to be shrunk too. Okay, uh, there's lots of plans. Again, I, I didn't hear a number there, but let me go to the NDP to be fair. Daniel Blakey, Mr. Singh continually talks about a price on carbon as well and criticized the Liberals for adopting the Harper targets. So tell us, what targets will your party adopt? And again, to be fair, what price on carbon would that require? 
Yeah, well, the uh, first thing to say is that in terms of targets, what, what we want are science-based targets that actually ensure Canada does its share in terms of reducing its uh, carbon footprint. So we want them enshrined in legislation. We want them taken in, into consideration within approval processes for big uh, projects. And we want some independent reporting on how Canada is doing, which is why we're talking about setting up a climate change accountability office. Because I think for a lot of Canadians, they hear journalists or politicians talking about uh, numbers. They want to hear uh, that we have clear targets that are actually science-based and they want to get uh, reporting that they feel that they can trust on how, well, on, what's on the how target? we're making progress. So what's so. the target for the NDP? What's your number? I, I mean, people want to know because they're, they're voting on this. We know that you, you, there's, a, there's a more robust target. What is that target and what would that mean for a price on carbon? Well, the uh, ultimate target is going to be whatever it takes in order to be able to get our emissions down to uh, what we agreed to in the uh, Paris Accord. So we're way off that right now. Those are the targets that we want to adopt. Those are the targets that have to uh, be, be, play a meaningful role in deciding whether or not we uh, go ahead with uh, projects that have the capacity to increase our emissions. Okay, so, so you're, so you're saying th that the Those are the targets that okay. we want, ones that are actually consistent with meeting our Paris Accord commitments. All right, that's, in, that's the Paris Accord. So the, so the Harper uh, Conservative targets, the Liberals, the Conservatives, and the NDP all vote. They all have the same target. Let me go to you, Jean-Luc Cook, from the Green Party. Uh, all right, they all have the same targets. I, I can't hear a lot of numbers there. What about a Green Party? Uh, what are your targets? What price on carbon does that require? A price on carbon is only part of the answer. Uh, really what we need to have is a, a significant amount of infrastructure development as well, interprovincial hydroelectric connectivity, because really the target is zero. Zero carbon emissions from transmission and uh, generation of electricity. Zero emissions from transportation. It's like paying off a credit card. You start with the highest interest first. Those areas we have to attack first. And afterwards, we start looking at insulating homes. Uh, the Conservatives talk about home renovation tax credit. Last time they had that, you got a tax credit for putting in a hot tub. We can't have that. We need to have tax credits that are focused on creating more efficiency in home, <clears throat> excuse me, more efficiency in homes, so that we, so people pay less on their heating bills. Okay, so what's the target then? I mean, you don't. It's 1.5 degrees yeah, C above pre-industrial. But don't levels. you want to double the target that the Liberals are using to double the Paris target? Is that the right for the Green Party? The Paris target is the agreed upon national target, uh, international target. So that's the target we want to get to. Now, what what the target needs to be in as part of the plan that every party needs to be part of is zero emissions on electrical generation across the country. So coal, natural gas, all has to go away. All we right. have to replace it with uh, solar and wind power, which is now cheaper than any other form of electrical generation. All right, uh, I got to leave it there. We will pick up this issue, by the way, with Nick Nanos, our pollster, coming up. But I want to thank uh, Marco Mendicino, Lisa Raitt, Daniel Blakey, and Jean-Luc Cook. Great to have you all. Good luck in your campaigns coming up. The SNC-Lavalin story is the zombie of the campaign. It never seems to die. When he's supposed to be touting his record, the Liberal leader continues to face questions about the political fiasco that rocked his government. The Scrum is up next to dissect the very latest on that. And what should we expect in week two of the campaign? Our special guest is former communication director for Jean Chrétien, Peter Dinolo. Stay right here with Question Period. What is your government trying to hide by refusing to waive cabinet confidentiality so the RCMP can properly investigate the role your office plays in the SNC Lavalin case? We uh, gave out uh, the largest and most expansive waiver of cabinet confidence in Canada's history.
madly off in all directions. That might be the best way to characterize the first five days of the campaign. You've got the Liberal bus crashing into the Liberal plane, the SNC story coming roaring back to life with allegations that the government refused to lift privilege so the RCMP can get more answers. The Conservatives are desperate to stop talking about the abortion question, and then Andrew Scheer campaigns with a candidate who's a vocal anti-abortion activist. Jagmeet Singh appears to be losing candidates faster than he can nominate them, with two more dropping out for allegations of domestic abuse and threatening to punch a journalist. And the Greens have a separatist candidate in Quebec, and they lost another for hate speech allegations. But amidst all that, there are actually some interesting policy ideas. The Liberals have announced an expansion of the first-time homebuyer's benefit. The Conservatives have announced more tax credits for maternity and paternity leave and transit. And the NDP are pushing to massively expand health care coverage. Have the first few days of the campaign been a disaster, or are there any great ideas peeking through the gloom? Let's bring in the scrum to find out. Tonda McCharles is a senior reporter for the Toronto Star, just off the campaign trail with Justin Trudeau. Bob Fife is the Globe and Mail's Ottawa bureau chief. Craig Oliver is CTV's chief political commentator. Our special guest for this round is the former communications director for Jean Chrétien, now the vice chairman at Hill & Knowlton, Peter Donolo. Well, welcome to the first week. Great to have everyone here. Tonda, let me just start with you because you literally just got off... Uh, this week you were following Trudeau, you were with him. Uh, Bob's story on the SNC-Lavalin obviously created a big stir. Uh, was that having an impact on the trail uh, for Justin Trudeau or were other issues? It wasn't uh, anything that any of the people we encountered out on the street, in Quebec, uh, out west, were bringing up with us when you talk to them about what their issues were but clearly from day one it set uh, a problem for Trudeau to address which I, I think arguably he still hasn't quite addressed claiming that he's given permission for this thing to be fully aired and that's obviously we've everybody's written it's it's not the case so um, in that respect it didn't seem to be playing that way what what I think uh, my main impression from arriving <laughs> after I don't know three or four provinces um, last night was that there is no set narrative driving this campaign yet. Um, right. People and organizers are telling us this and you get it from people that you talk to. Uh, people are still trying to figure out wh where's this thing going, why are we doing this right now, what's the main issue? Yeah, I, I just don't think that SNC-Levelin and all of the trust issues that legitimately raises about Trudeau and, and ethics uh, I just don't think that the Conservatives are going to win with that alone. I think they've got to get out there with a better vision of the country than Trudeau's offering, and that's being made more difficult for them by a number of reasons, particularly the fact that Trudeau has behind him a very strong economy, the best job figures in generations, uh, and a, a war room which is knocking the heck out of the Conservatives uh, and losing them candidates. Yeah, Bob, where are you? I mean, obviously the SNC story came back, and it does play into the, the big narrative about Trudeau, which is trust, which is, I think, one of the, the key moments in this campaign so far. Uh, what's your view on how this is playing out? Well, first of all, it's trust and truth. Uh, when we first broke the SNC-Lavalin story back in February, uh, that there was an effort by the Prime Minister's office to pressure Jody Wilson-Raybould, the Justice Minister, to grant, uh, uh, basically, uh, give uh, SNC-Lavalin a break in the courts. Uh, Mr. Trudeau said those allegations in the Globe Mail were false. Now that we know that the RCMP is knocking on the Prime Minister's office door to get cabinet documents and access to witnesses who are bound by cabinet confidentiality, he says, oh, 
That's not my responsibility. That's the clerk of the Privy Council's responsibility. He made that decision, which is not true. The clerk of the Privy Council is, respond is a custodian of cabinet secrets, but it is the prime minister and cabinet which can release those documents and witnesses. So the question is, what is the prime minister hiding? Now, I agree with, but I agree with uh, Craig's assessment. I'm not sure that I, the SNC-Lavalin may have already been baked into right. the electorate's consciousness, and uh, I think the, uh, the conservatives are being out flanked and outmaneuvered by a very smart war room by the uh, Liberal Party. And Mr. Uh, Scheer has not been able to break through with his affordability campaign, which I think has some appeal, but he hasn't been able to put any meat on it to hit people. Uh, uh, Peter Ginola, you've been in, in war rooms. You understand this. How, how do you assess the first week? I think the war room, I think the, the Liberal war room won the first week, if anyone won, won the first week of the campaign. I agree with what uh, with my friend said about uh, the SNC-Lavalin thing sort of being baked in, although the PM is going to be under a lot of pressure and stress at the first debate he enters on this. Because remember, when you're at a, when you're in a, a scrum or a <laughs> press conference during a campaign, questions come from all sorts of, uh, er, uh, all sorts of areas. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a debate, he's going to be under sustained pummeling from this, and, it's, and the answers he's given so far are going to be difficult. And, but, and you know, getting back to the war, war room, I mean, these candidates, the war room have, have kind of the, the brain farts that these, uh, all these crazy candidates that the liberal war room has, un, has, has uh, found. I mean, the actual parties are running for should have found these months ago and disqualified these guys. Th I don't understand there, how they let them run. There was a, a conservative strategist years ago, Tom Flanagan, who everybody yeah. might remember from yeah. the Stephen yeah. Harper days, who coined the term bozo eruptions. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. you know, those were the things that were said in the middle of the campaign. Now with social media, they can be tracked. But look, I just want to say that the other piece of what, you know, Peter's saying about the sustained uh, questioning Trudeau will face at a debate. So far, he's run a very safe, cautious campaign. He's taken only 15 minutes of questions each day once so that will be something also to watch is he bubbled is he contained frankly not in Quebec right. he did a tear through Quebec where he faced tough questions on secularism and uh, environment and stuff and he he was taking well, let, all let, me just say, let me bring Peter back uh, bill 21 which is the secularism bill which all federal politicians seem to oppose but they do it by sneezing into their napkin so you can't hear what they say uh, what is, does this come back and hurt them Listen, this issue was sort of one of uh, Justin Trudeau's breakaway issues in the last election mm. when, when Harper tried, uh, you know, the snitch line and all that kind of nonsense. And he stood out because he looked like he was speaking from the heart exactly. and of values. I think absolutely they're all walking on eggshells right now, including the PM to a certain extent, and I don't think it reflects well on any of them. Look, I think it's a cop-out by all the leaders, and it's because... Quebec is so important to this election campaign, 78 seats, they're all fighting for a segment of those seats, and nobody wants to say that this is wrong, that this is uh, an infringement on basic human rights and religious freedoms guaranteed in the Charter of Rights, but uh, if, you know, I can, you can almost be sure, if that had happened in Ontario or Alberta, they'd be all out there saying, they'd we're going to intervene on this, but because it's, it's Quebec, it's they're it's walking on eight shells. Trudeau has fallen back on Mackenzie King as his strategist in this regard by saying, intervention, if necessary, I'll intervene, but I won't necessarily intervene. The fact is, he knows, everybody knows he's going to have to, uh, because this is a repudiation, C-21, or not C-21, Bill 21, 
of everything Pierre Trudeau ever stood uh, he's for. He's fallen back on a lawyerly explanation. Yeah. I'm not going to butt my nose into Quebec's affairs yet, maybe at the Supreme Court of Canada, but that's a very legalistic sort of interpretation, and I think people are looking for political leadership on the question. All right, and last thing, I also, I also think it's a, yeah, uh, go ahead. I think it goes against his brand as well. His brand is very yeah. much, you know, mm. I'm going to speak right or wrong. I'm a 21st century kind of guy. Uh, you know, diversity is our strength, all this kind of stuff. So I think it's clearly a difficult position. Uh, you know, on the other hand, Scheer isn't even, isn't even pretending, isn't even pretending to be a hypocrite on this one. He's basically kind of playing footsie with it under the table, I think. And he's got a very transparent play for Quebec nationalist votes. Mm. All right, uh, I got to leave it there, but we'll talk more about Andrew Scheer and Jugmeet Singh and Elizabeth May. There's lots going on. Peter Donolo, who's watched a lot of campaigns, great to have you here. The rest of the scrum is going to stick around because coming up, uh, Justin Trudeau was a no-show at the first debate of the campaign. Should he have shown up to defend his record? Was it a smart strategy to stay away? Did this give Andrew Scheer and Jugmeet Singh a chance to shine? The scrum returns with CTV pollster Nick Nanos. Stay right here with Question Period. we can all agree that Justin Trudeau is afraid of his record and that's why he's not here tonight. So Liberal leader Justin Trudeau did not show up to the first debate of the campaign allowing his opponents to take shots at him with impunity. Was this a smart strategy for Trudeau to dodge the debate? Was there a clear winner from the talent pool that actually showed up and will it move the political meter? And what are we expecting to see this week? Let's bring back the scrum to find out. Tony McCharles is back, so is Bob Fife, Craig Oliver, and our special guest this round is Nick Nanos, president and CEO of Nanos Research. All right, Nick, we'll start with you. We're five days in, uh, where are we? And as, a, as one issue, maybe, God forbid, a policy issue should actually do it, <laughs> uh, actually connecting. So where we're at is a very tight race between the Liberals and the Conservatives, just marginal. The, Lib the New Democrats are back in the high teens. No big issues except, how about this, kicking tires. Canadians are kicking tires on all of the parties. You know, Justin Trudeau has had to speak to SNC-Lavalin in ethics, Andrew Scheer on abortion, Jagmeet Singh's had a good launch, Elizabeth May had to talk about her candidate, who is yeah. a sovereignist or a separatist, so think of that. But the key dividing lines now are starting to emerge in the numbers. Gender. The Liberals enjoy a double-digit lead among women. What does that mean? Take women out of the equation, Andrew Scheer would be in the lead. The other dividing line is geography, that Ontario-Manitoba border. The Liberals are leading in Atlantic, Quebec and Ontario, and the Conservatives in the rest. Interesting. Bob, debates. Uh, Justin Trudeau didn't show up mm -hmm. to that debate. Smart strategy, or does it give uh, Mr. Scheer, Mr. Singh, who have never done this before, here? Here's a kind of pre-rehearsal uh, for the next debate coming up. Well, I think from the Liberal point of view, it's, it's smart strategy. Um, it's early in the ga game. Why would you want to put your leader out to get beat up by the uh, other four leaders? And, you know, this was a debate that a lot of people wouldn't, weren't watching. And if he had showed up, I think a lot more people would have tuned in to watch them. Uh, so I think from the liberal point of view, I get why they're doing it. I don't think it's good from a public policy point of view. I think the leader should be debating as much as possible in a democracy. Um, but in terms of the debate itself, uh, look, I think we all agree that Jagmeet Singh did very well. His expectations were low. He surprised us. He performed strongly in the, in the debate. Yeah. Um, I, this was a good moment for Mr. Scheer. You could see a, moment, a couple moments where he couldn't figure out his answers. Um, but it's a good training ground for him for the real debate when he has to go up against Mr. Trudeau. And Elizabeth May, um, there were a couple of moments where I thought she um, 
did said some stupid things that she will end up paying for. Uh, Tonda, it's interesting. I, I never thought that. Well, the liberals now they're they're arguing, uh, you know, politics over the principle of debates. But uh, you know, Mr. Singh, Mr. Shear. They had pretty good debates. What did your What were your thoughts? Well, the thing is, you know, interesting. We were in Alberta in Edmonton the night of that debate that Trudeau didn't participate in. And what I was struck by is I would have thought that that would have been an opportunity for the Conservatives to mobilize a lot of opposition and show that, you know, people protesting Trudeau out there yeah. while this significant uh, political event was going on. It didn't happen. So... Like Bob said, it was strategically smart for Trudeau. For Singh, I think, by all accounts, he's the one who shone there. So I think that was, I think that was a, an indicator that, look, don't underest, underestimate this guy. We all have low expectations because he's had a hard year in, in the Commons and outside the Commons mostly. But I think that's a narrative to watch for. I think yeah. also mm -hmm. the fact that the Greens and the NDP were eating each other alive, yeah. that's, that, that is what's playing out on the ground. Yeah, I think if so far if there's any comeback kid in this campaign, it'll be Singh. And uh, by the way, he was also very poised, sharp, and articulate uh, in his uh, in his launch. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think we may be able to see NDP numbers improving. And uh, in that sense, Trudeau didn't do himself any favors by not showing up, because by not showing up, he gave Singh a lot of room to either fail or succeed, and I think he did the last. And, and Nick, that, that must be great for Andrew Scheer. Andrew Scheer wants uh, Jagmeet Singh to improve because he wants to split the vote in the left. Yeah. I, I think that's probably helpful for him. I think Andrew Scheer didn't want Justin Trudeau at that debate because he needs to put a spotlight on Singh for Singh to do well, right. and he effectively did that. But for the PM, smart politics, no guts. Why don't we say that? You want to be prime minister... You should be in the debates. I'm old school. I think Canadians want to make informed decisions. It they need to see everyone. It was not a great look, the empty podium. Uh, but to Nick's point about, you know, the divisions that are showing up already, look, I, I actually was struck by how many... Uh, possibly three- and four-way races are going on in B.C. So I think that, yeah, the West is a big, big hole there for the Liberals. But, uh, no, it was, it, it's, I think, it's early days. Singh, I think, is in trouble in Quebec. We, we, yeah. we say he, he, he may recover and have, you know, rise uh, above expectations. But on the ground, they are clearly struggling. Right. So. Oh, interesting. All right, uh, Bob, issues. I mean, uh, we pay attention, frankly, a lot because it's important, you know, who's campaigning on a bad day, who's yeah. had a good day, whose bus hit, who's playing. I thought that was pretty oh, interesting. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, but the truth is, for, for Canadians, elections are about their lives and yeah. what matters and policies and ideas. Has any policy, is it affordability, is it the carbon tax, it is, is it housing, is it health care, has anything punched through yet that may frame this uh, campaign? No, nothing has punched through that I can see. I mean, right now, media and the parties are focusing on the culling of candidates. Uh, which, frankly, happens every election campaign. I think it's, it, it's an, although it's important, it doesn't, it, it is not as significant as, as the policy issues that we should be demanding of our politicians. What are you going to do for me on the climate? What are you going to do for my pocketbook? What are you going to do about the opioid crisis? Nobody is talking about those issues, but it is early days. Early. The, the policy announcements this week were, were small but pocket-oriented mm -hmm. for consumers. Uh, the only thing that sort of struck me was uh, Elizabeth May's amazing thing in the in the campaign, jaw dropper, frankly, that anybody who loses their job in Quebec, a minority, because of uh, in Alberta, uh, uh, um, no, in Al in Quebec, because oh, right. because of Bill uh, C uh, 21. Bill Twenty One, 
that, you know, she'll help them find a job in Ontario or elsewhere. I mean, this is crazy. I, I think the, the key to this campaign is going to end up being climate. When it's all over, we're going to say yeah. the deciding factor in the campaign was climate. And it might be partly because uh, Mr. The, the Conservative leader has locked himself out with the decision to oppose so vigorously to join the uh, Alberta Premier and join Mr. Ford in attacking uh, carbon tax. And by doing that, he cannot depend on support from the Greens. He cannot depend on support from the NDP. Uh, and, and, young, the the, and young voters and are young very voters. concerned about the environment. But, uh, uh, this is going to be, I think, the ballot box item when we're all done here. And Craig, to add to that, when people think of climate now, I agree with you 100%, they think of carbon tax, they think of resource development, they think of pipelines, whether they like them or not, including global warming. But it is a strategic issue that is going to directly impact vote splits. Green, NDP, yeah, Conservative, I think, Liberal. I think that Scheer is on the wrong side of it. Okay. He made a decision early to go with, the, uh, with his two friend premiers, and uh, maybe he should... Well, you know, but Craig, he might, have had, he might have been able to do so... He could have said he could have opposed the carbon tax, but he had to have a credible environmental plan, and, and is, it is not credible. And this is, and this I think is where Sheer should be uh, rebutting all the white noise of the candidates and stuff like that. Those attacks by rolling out policy, 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 <clears throat> significant policy. But I think that really, look, the liberals are aiming to tackle that affordability agenda that conservatives and the NDP say they're on because the liberals are announcing measures that they think will grab those middle class votes and this whole week watch for the economic thing, theme to dominate in Ontario. But for sure, he, he, Sheer only needs 36% of Canadians to agree with this climate policy or himself. So it's not a majority. So he doesn't need everyone to agree with what he needs to say. He needs to be strategic in order to try okay, to Okay, that's cool. So that's, you think economic issues will dominate? I this think you're right. What, sure. are you, what are you looking for this week, Bob? Uh, this week? Yeah. I'm not sure what they're going to do this week because I'm assuming that the liberal war room is going to continue to throw bombs at the, at the conservatives and the neophytes in the conservative war room don't know how to respond. So my view is watch for another week of sheer getting beat up by the liberal war room. What are you looking for this week? Uh, Bill 21. Uh, I think Trudeau's going to have to uh, go much further than he's gone in terms of dealing with this. Uh, it's so important to him, partly because, as I say, it is a repudiation of everything his father ever stood for. Uh, and in the end, he's going to have to come out against this bill much more strongly than he's done so far. Or he lacks courage, he looks weak in the face of an issue which is so critical to so many Canadians, yeah. we just don't know how English-speaking Canada is going to take it. All right, got to leave it there. The one thing we don't do is we don't predict the future. But uh, it's going to be a wild campaign. Bob, Tonda, Craig, and Nick, uh, great uh, short campaign, a very intense one. Thanks, all of you, for watching. We will be back here in seven short days, or with the campaign, seven very long days. We'll see you back here next Sunday.